I am so grateful for our Soul City Kids leaders and volunteers. And those of you who serve and volunteer in Soul City Kids, we applaud you. You have your work cut out for you. We are so grateful for you. And according to those answers, you have a lot of work to do. Uh, uh, so uh, it's, it's fun to even kind of look and explore even kids' thoughts on these big questions. And that's what we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at is these big questions, these big ideas about faith uh, and about sort of where we fit into this big story of God. And uh, what we're going to do to sort of kick off the series is something we do here uh, all the time, every week. Uh, we spend the time uh, of our gathering together giving back to God, acknowledging his goodness in our lives. It's one of the ways that God grows us is when we acknowledge his goodness in our life. And so uh, we're going to do that as I talk. We're going to do a little multitasking. We're going to receive our offering. Uh, this is a way that uh, those of us who call God our Father, call this church our home, uh, it's a way that we give back. And there are many people in this church who give a percentage uh, back to God. And it has very little to do with this church specifically or even this time that we're going to do this right now. It has to do with an acknowledgement of God's goodness in our life. And so in trust and faith, we say thank you back to God. And that supports all of the work that we do here around Soul City. So we're going to receive that right now uh, while we sort of get started. And as we do, I want you to think about uh, this idea of what we're going to be kicking into this morning is uh, sort of this big, 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 big picture of God that many of us might have missed or, or, or didn't quite know was out there. Uh, and to do that, I want you to think about, um, think about like your favorite movie or a movie that you really loved recently. Why don't you think about that? All right. So think about a movie that you uh, went to and saw recently. If you're a parent, it's been at least a couple years, but where you went out and saw a movie and I want you to think about that movie that you love so much, right at the pivotal scene, right, you know, when the person is right at that moment where it can go either way, or the love story is about to happen, or the building is about to blow up, or whatever it is, the movie just stopped, and they just came in and turned on the lights and started sweeping up the popcorn on the floor. Now, would you be happy about that or frustrated about that? Yeah, that's not a trick question, people. This is not, you don't, you don't have to, this is church, but this, these are easy answers right now, okay? So you'd be frustrated about that, right? Imagine, like, for those of you who read, has anyone read any of the Harry Potter books or got into that whole thing, or uh, Twilight? No? Okay. Uh, I just, I'm just checking. I don't know. So you're into that whole thing, and it gets to, like, book three, and, and, and you're so into it, and you're like, oh, she's going to go with, you know, Jacob, or is that a Jacob? Is that a thing? I don't even know. Is he a guy? I don't even know. Okay. So we're going to go with Jacob, uh, and it's book three, and everything's kind of getting really exciting, and, and zombies are somehow introduced in the story, and so you're very excited, and then that's just it. They just stop making the books. You know, if you're, if you're reading through whatever series of books or even just take any old book and, you, and there's 10 chapters, it gets to chapter 7 and then it's just blank pages after that. Would you be frustrated or happy about that? Yeah, good. Again, not hard questions here, people. These are lobs right now that I'm giving you, right? You'd be very, very frustrated about that. Pick your favorite TV show if you follow along to a show. Now, my wife and I are late to the game, but we are hooked on Friday Night Lights right now, right? So I'm just, listen, clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. So listen, if we were to get through, or you were to get through your favorite series, your favorite show, let's, okay, we'll take The Bachelor. I'm assuming that's your favorite show. And there was still, it got all the way down to two roses left on the table. Or one rose, I guess, is how it ends at the end. There's one rose on the table, and then the show just ends, and you don't know who they're going to go with. Frustrated or happy about that? Guys, we don't care. We really, truly don't. We don't care. We're only watching because we have to. And so... <laughs> So you can you, you kind of get where I'm going here, right? There, it, when we don't sort of receive the whole thing that we signed up for, we get frustrated about that. We get frustrated about that. 
We, we, we don't like that. And yet for many of us, when it comes to our view of God, our understanding of God, many of us have gone a very long time in our lives with an incomplete view of God. We have a limited view of God. It's as though the book sort of ended at chapter 7 and we don't really know the whole story of the whole picture. We have an incomplete view of a God who is actually whole and complete. And for some of us, it's, we just never knew. Or for some of us, you grew up maybe around the church, but you never took the time to grow in sort of your understanding, your experience of the fullness of who God is. And so we are so committed to growth here at Soul City Church. We are so committed to transformation that we are going to dive in deep. And what we're looking at this weekend, really, you can't look at everything else we're about to teach. We're going to teach on the Bible, on prayer, on worship, on sin and grace, all of those things. All of them are affected by what we're going to look at this weekend. And so if you are a note-taking type person or someone who's prone to forgetting, this is a great time to sort of take some notes and jot some stuff down because we are going to dive in deep to the roots of our faith and look at God as the Trinity. We are going to look at this full and complete view and understanding of who God is through these three unique and distinct persons of the Trinity. Now, how many of you are familiar with that word Trinity? You kind of know this. How many of you is because of the Matrix? All right, good. All right, it's okay. Just be honest. I'm asking you to be honest in church. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sort of level the playing field because some of us maybe grew up around church. Maybe you didn't. So let's just sort of level the playing field and step back and look at this very important, very foundational, very fundamental Christian doctrine of God as the Trinity, three in one. Have you ever heard Father, Son, Holy Ghost, those phrases put together, had to ever sort of pray that way? So you know that's the Trinity. That's this idea We're going to dive into what it means. So the idea of the Trinity is simply this, that there is God who is one and yet has three distinct persons within his oneness. So within the oneness, the wholeness of God. So God is one. There is one God. That is very important. There is one God. Within that one God, there are three sort of uh, persons of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let's talk and explore for a second. We'll keep that up on the screens. What it looks like for God the Father. God as Father. This very unique and distinct person of God with very unique and distinct roles within the Trinity. Again, all of these members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, being one, equal with each other, but each have unique sort of reflections and personhood within the oneness of God. The Father, God the Father, is our perfect parent. That we have a God who fathers us, who raises us, who grows us, who loves us, who at times disciplines us for our growth because he loves us. He is a perfect father. Now, even as I say that word in this room, there are a lot of different reactions to the word father, aren't there? A lot of us have had a lot of different experiences, some good, some bad, some absent. But we have in God a parent a perfect parent who knows exactly who we are because he created us and is here to raise us into all of who we are meant to be. He is our father. And God the Father also is the orchestrator of a grand redemptive plan to bring all of the world into relationship with him. So we see God the Father as this perfect parent and God is the orchestrator of this amazing, epic, redemptive plan that sweeps across all of human history, across every single person who's ever lived right up to this very moment, to your very life. And it is a redemptive plan of love orchestrated by God, 
the Father, our perfect parent. Now, Jesus is referred to as the Son. So within this oneness of God, there's God the Father and Jesus the Son. And Jesus, as the Son, is the one who actually initiates that plan, who executes that plan of redemption. That's why we have the story found in the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament called the Gospels are the account of God the Son, Jesus, literally now coming to earth, physically being with us. So coming from this sort of existence that is beyond our understanding, throughout all of eternity, God perfectly always existing, now literally physically manifests as one of us, is born Literally born, like an actual human being. God comes into our story to execute this grand redemptive plan of love, ultimately through the cross and an empty tomb. And so we see in God the Father, our perfect parent, this grand epic plan of redemption. And in Jesus, the Son, coming to fulfill his role within that plan. And not only that, but to be our leader and our teacher and our guide for life. We have a God who was for us long before we ever knew who he was. God was for us. He sends his son, Jesus, to be with us so that we could actually look to his physical life, his being with us, and learn how to live, how to live. His teachings, his life, we have a model now to measure our lives to, to shoot for, to aim for in the life of Jesus. Brennan Manning, one of my favorite authors, said that just about everything you need to know about God, you see in the life of Jesus. Everything you need to know about God, you can find in the life of Jesus, the way he lived, what he taught, who he was with, how he offered his life, the love that he extended, the grace that he gave, the power that came through the resurrection. That's the role of the Son, to come and execute that plan. And then there's God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, sometimes referred to in old hymns as the Holy Ghost, which as a kid, I'm going to be honest, freaked me out a little bit. Because we're singing songs of the Holy Ghost. I'm like, if this church is haunted, I'm out of here. So that's old language, but it's the Holy Spirit. And so we have God who is for us and initiates this plan of redemptive love. Jesus who is with us in bodily form to execute that plan. Then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to be, guess what? In us. In us. God in us. Anyone who enters into relationship with God through Jesus the Son has the Holy Spirit in them. And the Holy Spirit has a very active and dynamic role of guiding, of illuminating your life, illuminating scripture to you so that when you read it, you read it and go, wow, okay, I think I understand this or wow, this is really challenging. Have you ever read a verse before in the Bible that you maybe heard before or read before, but you read it and all of a sudden it seems like it's brand new? And you're like, was this in here before? This was not in here before. This is a new Bible, right? Have you ever had that? That's the Holy Spirit actively working in your life to illuminate God's truth, to guide you, to guard you, to comfort you. A very active and dynamic role, a God who is for us in this redemptive act of love. Jesus, who literally is with us to execute that act of love, that grand redemptive act of love. And the Holy Spirit, who then is in us, causes us to grow. For those of us who use our spiritual gifts around this church, we believe that God has given us unique gifts and abilities and talents, and that's why we serve around here. That's why we do Soul City Kids and why we do, you know, first impressions, and because we believe God has given us these, literally, these supernatural gifts and abilities that are not just of us, they are from Him, and they are ignited by the Holy Spirit in us. So you see, there's very unique, distinct roles that each of them plays. God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Spirit. All of them one, but yet three distinct persons. And what happens is when we hear something that sort of big and powerful, our brain wants to try and understand it in as simple a terms as possible, right? We, just, we don't want it to be so big and so vast and so complicated, so we try and understand it the best we can. In fact, it was Aristotle who said that the soul can't think without an image. That's a good quote. The soul can't think without an image. We need images, don't we? We need images to help our soul come alive. And so what we've done is we've said, okay, well, how do we describe the Trinity? What is it like? And so maybe you've heard this before, that some people have said the Trinity is like an egg. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, it's like an egg. And, and the reason being is because there's three things in one here. There's the shell, which you can see. Inside here, there's egg white. And inside there, there's egg yolk. There's three aspects of this egg. It's all still egg, right? But only two parts you actually eat. So there's this fullness of the egg, three in one. And what people are trying to do is help us see that three things can exist in one place at the same time. And we go, okay, well, that's, that's kind of helpful, I guess. And maybe you've heard that before. People have said, you know what God is like? He, he's like water. The Trinity is like water, because you can have water in three different states. Right now, this is water in which form? Now, again, questions are getting a little harder here. Which form is this in? Liquid. Good, good. All right. If I were to take this and put it in the freezer upstairs, it would go to what form? Solid. It would turn into ice. It would be solid. Then if I were to throw that into a kettle and turn on the heat, what would happen to it? It would go into gas. Steam, right? And so it, it, God, the Trinity, is like water. It, it, it's, it's liquid, and it's solid, and it's steam, and it's three things that can be one. And, and I think those metaphors are a great attempt to sort of help us, but they totally fall short. One, because eggs are delicious, and I love eating eggs, and I don't want to feel guilty like I'm eating God every time I have an egg or an omelet, <laughs> right? The metaphor falls short, because it's so much bigger than that. There's so much more going on than just three things existing in one place at the same time. And many, many people have devoted their lives to understanding how the Trinity works. And there have been hundreds and hundreds of books about the subject. Thousands and thousands of pages. Millions and millions of words. And yet there's still something about it that remains a mystery that can't simply be contained or explained, that God is that vast. And so instead of spending our time together tonight trying to figure out how it all works and coming up with metaphors that try and explain how it works, what I'd love for us to do is to try and wrestle with why. Because I think that's a bigger and more important question than just how, is why. Why? Why would God be three persons in one, what is there about that dynamic between the three of them that will help me understand more fully who God is? And not just understand, because there are many, many people who understand sort of how all this works. And you can spend your whole life trying to understand God and still not know him. There's a difference between understanding and knowing, isn't there? And so our goal in our time here is not just to understand a little bit more about the Trinity, but to actually know God more. And I believe we'll get there by asking a bigger question of why. Why this unique dynamic relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit? Now again, 
Metaphors fall short, but as we were planning our time here together this weekend, we were in a creative meeting coming up with all kinds of different things. That video that we just saw a little bit ago, coming up with all these ideas that we could do and help us grow more. And one of the people in the meeting, Jerrica, said to me uh, in the middle of it, she goes, you know what, Jared? She's like, you know what? God's a lot like you. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> no, go with that. Go with that. Let's see where this leads. You know, and I'm like, I, I know, I've been trying to tell my wife this for years, but go on. Let me... Let me hear what you have. And she's like, well, not literally like you, and you are not literally like him, but try and imagine it like this. Again, another metaphor that will fall short, but maybe it'll help us get to more of the why question. She says, Jerry, you're one person, but you are your father's son, and you interact with your father in a very unique way, and you are your wife's husband, and you interact with her in a very unique way, and you are your son's father. You interact with him in a very unique and specific way. And if you think about it, that helps us a little bit more. Again, it's not a perfect, by any means, metaphor, but it reveals what we're going to spend our time focusing on, is that there is a relationship between the Trinity. I have a very specific relationship with my father. The way that I speak to my father is very different even than the way that I speak to my son, even though I keep repeating all the things that he did when I was a kid that I swore I'd never say or do, Right? I have a very different way of talking to my son than I do my father and a very different way of talking to my wife than I do my father. Let's just leave that at that, okay? There are things that I just will never say to my dad that I say to my wife, right? Because we have a very different dynamic and relationship just as I do with my son, just as I do with my father. You see, that it's, just, it's still me, but I have different ways of interacting. And I think what that helps us understand maybe a little bit more is that there, it's not just a how these things can exist in one space and one time, but that there is a relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There is a beautiful, beautiful relationship that goes on between them. This dynamic relationship of love and mutual submission where the Father serves the Son, where the Son serves the Spirit, the Spirit serves the Father. There is this beautiful, beautiful relationship with God, that it's not merely something to sort of be explained rationally. It's just, it's not just only to be explained rationally, but it is here for us to experience relationally. And maybe that might help us know God more, is when we understand that there is a relationship to be experienced that is being experienced within the Trinity and that we are actually invited into experiencing. Our image, our idea of relationship, of community, is founded in. The only reason we would have a desire to connect with others comes from the fact that we come from a relationship that already exists. The relationship between the Trinity, between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That they interact with each other in such a beautiful, intimate way. That it is our desire, our longing actually comes from them comes from the Trinity. And in that relationship that we see, as we try and understand it more through exploring the scriptures, as we look at the Trinity, we see a relationship, a community that already exists. And within that, you know that there's, there's no community that can happen. Community cannot happen where there's no intimacy. And in the Trinity, we see intimacy. We see this oneness among Father, Son, and Spirit. There's no community without Intimacy, And you know that there can't be any intimacy without equality. It's, that's true of our relationships, isn't there? 
You can't have an intimate relationship with someone when you are constantly measuring where you sort of fit in light of them, where you're trying to power up over them or always feel less than them. You will not have intimacy where there is no equality. And there is no equality where there is not a mutual submission to each other. And this is what we see in the Trinity. It is this perfect, intimate relationship. You don't see among them a fighting or a bickering or like you don't see Jesus going, you know what? I don't really feel like going to the cross today. So spirit, guess what? You get to go today, right? Or Holy Spirit saying, God, have you seen these people that I'm supposed to be in? They're a mess. This place is a mess. You don't see that really happening between the Trinity. Perfect, intimate, equal, mutual submission. And that is our design for relationship. And that is our desire for relationship. The Greeks had a word that they used to describe this perfect sort of intimacy. And that word is perichoresis. Perichoresis is the words that the Greeks used to describe the sort of mutual indwelling and intersecting of these three persons within the Trinity. It's the word that where we get, uh, the root word where we get our word choreography from. Isn't that beautiful? Perichoresis. That's what the Greeks used to try and wrap their heads around this relationship within the Trinity. And that's where we get our word choreography, that there is this dance that exists between Father, Son, and Spirit, each submitting to the other in such a perfect way. We see a perfect relationship in them. And we see this dance woven all throughout human history in the pages of the Bible. From the very beginning, in fact. So what I want you to do is grab a Bible that's right in front of you. Let's look for this dance of the Trinity, of these three distinct members of the Trinity acting as one God together. Open up to page three, right? So just past table of contents. We're going to go to Genesis chapter one, to literally the very beginning. And we'll put it up on the screen as well. But Genesis chapter one, verse 26, we're going to look at this very um, beginning moments of our story. And I'm going to pause here in a second. When I do, I want you to read out loud the word that I don't say. Is that cool? Again, these are lobs. I'm trying to help here. Okay, so this is in the story of creation. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image in our likeness. Very interesting, isn't it? From the very beginning, we see the dance of the Trinity. These three in one. Let us make people in our image, in our likeness. Male and female, we are created in the image of God. And isn't it interesting? As God is one and yet three, we are one and yet we are also body, mind, heart, soul that God has wired into us this basic understanding of this beautiful wholeness and completeness that is in him and has been poured into us. From the very beginning, we see our, we, us. There is a relationship that exists long before you and I ever set foot in this world. Long before time even existed. And that love And that intimacy and that relationship could no longer be contained within the Trinity. And so God says to himself, let us create others in our image. Let's invite in 
let's bring others into this relationship. And we see, we see throughout the page of the scripture, we see that there's not a single verse that sums up the theology of the Trinity. There's just not, just like there's not a single metaphor that sort of works for it. There's not a single verse that sums up all of the Trinity, but we see them woven, each of them in different ways, all throughout the pages of scripture. And there are a few unique moments where we get a more clear picture so that we may know God more completely. So let's jump ahead to one of those. Luke chapter 3. In the Blue Bibles, it's pages 947. Jump ahead to page 947, which is Luke chapter 3, verse 21. We see a very unique and distinct moment where we get what I think is one of the only glimpses that we get of the Trinity all existing and, and being in the same space at the same time. As far as I can see from everything I've studied in Scripture, this is a very, very, very unique moment. So much did the Son, God the Son in Jesus, submit himself to the will of the Father and make himself available to us that he chose to be baptized. Now, he had no reason to necessarily be baptized at all. He was without sin. And yet he so fully entered into the muck and the mire of our human story that he went to be baptized by his cousin, John, the baptizer. And so Jesus goes out and is baptized with this sea of humanity. And at that moment we see in Luke 3, verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. So aligning himself with us. And as he was praying... Heaven was opened. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I've seen a lot of alien invasion movies, so I have an idea. But I don't know what that means, but it's enough for the writer of this book to say that heaven was opened. And the what? Holy Spirit descended. So now we see the Holy Spirit descending on him in bodily form like a dove. A dove represents peace. The word that Jesus would have used is shalom the peace and rest of God coming and resting on Jesus, the Son. So we see God, the Father, heaven is opened up. God, the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove. Jesus, the Son, is present. And then we hear God say these words, and a voice came from heaven, you are my what? Son, whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. Of all the things that God the Father could have said in that moment, he had everyone's attention, I guarantee you. Heaven just opened up and a dove came out of nowhere and sitting on Jesus' shoulder. People are listening. God could have said, listen to him right now. I swear, do it, trust me, or you will really regret it. God could have said that. God could have made very clear, this is the plan. This is how it's going to go down. But what does he say in a moment where clearly everyone who was gathered there could hear, and we are in fact now hearing the echo of those words in this very moment. He says, as a perfect father, you are my child. We are one, but your unique role is that you are my child, my son. And I am so pleased with you. And such a dynamic and unique relationship that God the Son had with God the Father that when Jesus was here in physical bodily form, he would say over and over again that I and the Father, we are one. We are one. And in fact, Jesus would go on to say, as we are one, so will you be one with us. We see Jesus, the executor of this perfect redemptive plan of love. 
Now let's jump ahead to one last passage, and this is found in Galatians 4. Paul is trying to give us a picture of the story of these three persons of the Trinity at work in our human story. And so in Galatians chapter 4, this is page 1076, so you can kind of thumb ahead to the right to page 1076. This is Galatians chapter 4. We see Paul paint this beautiful picture of the story of what is going on as these three persons of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, work in unison together towards our redemption and salvation. Paul says these words, but when the right time came, when the right time came, God sent his what? Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us. To buy freedom for us through his life. To buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own what? Children. Isn't that beautiful? God sent at the perfect time, God the Father sends God the Son in the form of Jesus into our world to literally buy our freedom so that we could actually call out to God the Father as his own children. And it says these words, Paul wrote these words, because we are his children, God has sent the what? Spirit of his, okay, let me try that again. Uh, Because we are his children, God has sent the what? Spirit. So here we see the spirit now of his son into our hearts. Remember we talked about God being for us, Jesus being with us. The spirit is now in us, in our hearts, prompting us to call out to him, Abba, Father. And those words are very important, Abba, Father. The word Abba in Aramaic translates literally to daddy, to daddy. And we have little ones, and when my children call me daddy, they have my full attention. Because I am their daddy. And these words, Abba, Father, are actually at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Jeannie taught on this a few months back. That at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, you know when... Jesus taught us how to pray. The first two words are Abba, Father. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's realizing that he is about to go to the cross to buy our freedom, he is submitting his will to the Father and he cries out in agony and says, Abba, Father, if there's any other way, and he knows that this is the only way, is for him to buy our freedom with his life. And all that was done so that the Spirit could come and be in us and that we could, like Jesus, call out and say, Abba, Daddy, Father, God of the universe, King over all creation, Daddy. Do you see how powerful and important each member of the Trinity is as they work out this grand redemptive plan that even comes down to you and to me, because that perfect relationship that existed between them could no longer be contained within them, and it poured out into us, inviting you and I into relationship, like children being adopted into a relationship with God. You, you could sort of sum it all up with this simple thought that what it, this is just true, that you have been created from relationship. For relationship. Let's say that together. You were created from relationship for relationship. 
You were created from the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit, from that perfect, holy, mutual, submitting, equal, loving, intimate relationship. You were created, as we saw in Genesis 1.26, you were created from that relationship, and you were created for relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each of them working in unique ways towards the redemptive act of love that brings you into relationship with them. You were created from relationship for relationship. And that longing and desire you have in your heart comes from God. It comes from where you come from. You were created for that. And not just with God, but with each other. We were created for community relationship with each other. You know that. If you live in the city or you live, you know that there are like 2.9 million people and feels like billion people around you at all times and you can still feel so lonely, can't you? And you have such a longing for relationship, for connection with someone else. Guess what? That comes from God. And in fact, you were actually created for relationship. You were created for relationship. This is what God has been doing. Dallas Willard says it so beautifully. Listen to what he says. Read these words as we put them on the screen. He says it way better than I could. God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community. That's a community where everyone is accepted, welcomed, and wanted. An inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Isn't that beautiful? That this is what God has been up to. This is what he's been up to. Creating a way for you to have a relationship with him. With him at the center and you being brought into relationship with him. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. And what we want to do as a church is grow, not only in our understanding, but our experience of the Trinity. And so I have a little challenge for you this week. And it, it's, it might feel a little weird, but I have a challenge for you. I think it actually could prove to be very, very, very eye-opening and hopefully heart-opening for you as well. I want to challenge you to pray to each of the members of the Trinity. Now, for many of us, the way that we pray is sort of like, dear God, we barely even, we just fly through that part and then we go into it. Maybe sometimes you bust out a dear Jesus, right? My hunch is very few of us have said, dear Holy Spirit, just you, maybe you weren't taught that way or didn't know that you could do that or that's a thing. Here's what I want each of us to do this week as we move from this moment is to commit to praying specifically to God the Father, to God the Son, to God the Holy Spirit. I remember a time, it was six or seven years ago, I had really hit a wall with God. I had sort of created a, a construct for how I thought God should operate. I created my own rules, and I sort of assumed he would play along by them. And I just assumed, you know, I would do nice things, I'd do good things for God, I'd kind of work at a church, I'd do all kinds of nice things, be a good person, so long as he never let anything bad ever happen to me ever for the rest of my life. Those were my terms, and I don't see what was wrong with them. And so after a couple really hard hits in life, some significant loss personally, the death of Jeannie's father, uh, I've seen several friends move away, 
seeing people we really cared about make just huge mistakes, I became very, very frustrated with God, the Father. Because he wasn't living up to my expectations. Please keep that in mind. And so thank God that I had a mentor in my life at that time who was wise enough to say, you know, Jared, there's more than just God the Father here. There's this completeness, this wholeness of the Trinity. And she encouraged me to actually begin to pray specifically to Jesus to take me to the Father. My frustration and hurt and anger was directed at God the Father, but somehow Jesus was like, okay, I was okay with him. And I didn't really, I, I didn't have much of sort of an experience or relationship with the Holy Spirit, so I'm like, yeah, you can come along too. Like, it, I didn't really quite know because I just thought I was supposed to pray to God. And so I was led for several months by the spiritual mentor to pray specifically to Jesus to take me to the Father and to the Holy Spirit to open my eyes to the brokenness of my heart and to open my eyes more fully to the Father. And it was transformational for me. Transformational for me. And so the challenge for this week's Soul City Church is for you to pray to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit at least once a day. Can you do that? At least once a day. It's going to feel like writing with your non-dominant hand. It's going to feel clumsy and weird at first, but my sense is it will make you more aware of the fullness of who God is. And maybe, just maybe, you'll experience God more completely as he is fully complete. And I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity for those of us in this room to actually pray to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit right now in this moment. It's my hunch and my belief that some of you are in this room tonight because of this grand redemptive act of love initiated by the Father, executed by the Son, and literally bringing you to this moment by the Holy Spirit, and you didn't even know that those three were working together. And you're here this weekend, and you have heard the truth from God's word, that there is a loving Father, Son, and Spirit who are inviting you into relationship. Not religion, not more rules, relationship with him, with God. And this may be the whole reason you're here tonight, is to pray that very first prayer to God to say, okay, okay, I'm yours. If it's true that you would adopt me, that you bought my freedom through the life and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that my freedom was bought and that it's possible that, that God, you actually won't just be out there anymore and that person I kind of throw a Hail Mary pass to, but that you could actually be in me through the Holy Spirit and literally guiding my life day by day, I'm in. I'm in for that. And so what I want to do is lead us through a prayer to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to celebrate uh, and acknowledge the power of how that's even possible here in a moment. But would you just close your eyes and sort of pull away from any distractions that might be around you right now? And I'm talking specifically to those of you who have been sort of around this idea. You've been open to God. In fact, that's even why you're here. And maybe you just never heard or knew that there's been a God who has been pursuing you your whole life. So much so that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. And the Holy Spirit has actually been prompting and moving you in different relationships that you've bumped into to bring you to this very moment. 
and that you would pray a prayer like this. And if that's you and you are ready to enter into this beautiful, loving relationship with God, then you can just repeat these words after me. Abba, Father, I commit my life to you. Jesus, thank you for making a way for me, for dying for my sin, for covering my debt, and for buying my freedom. Holy Spirit, I invite you in to my life. I invite you in to guide, to guard, to lead, to comfort, to encourage, to grow me in ways that I could never do on my own. I choose you knowing that you have spared no expense in your pursuit of me. Come now and be my father, Jesus, my savior, Holy Spirit, my guide and my leader. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. I want to let you know, like that's the prayer you pray. If those are your words, then you, here's the crazy thing. You're in relationship with God. You are in relationship with God. You've been entered into and ushered into the family of God, adopted so that you can actually call out to God your Father. And you can do that now. And we're going to take a moment right now to celebrate that, to acknowledge that that freedom was bought at a price. That freedom was bought at a price. That the total debt and weight of our sin is not something we could ever carry on our own. And so Jesus came to be with us, to give his life for us. And on the night that Jesus would be betrayed by one of his own followers, arrested and falsely tried, and ultimately led to a cross, he gathered his followers, his closest friends together in relationship with them. And he took elements from the table. He took bread. And he knew that we would need images for our soul to ever think. And so he broke the bread and, and said, this is my body broken for you. This is my body. I have come. God has come. And I am going to offer this body broken for you. The only thing that can heal a broken world. My body broken for you. And then he took wine and he poured and he said, this wine is like my blood. This perfect, the only perfect sinless blood to ever flow through human veins. But I pour it out so that your heart might be healed and you might live again and have life in me. And that simple act of bread and wine is what we call communion. And we celebrate that regularly around here at Soul City because we know that we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that our freedom was bought at a price. And that's something for some of us is going to leave us very aware of our brokenness, of our sin, of the weight of what we've done. And at the same time, causes us to celebrate. Because what we could not do on our own, God already did for us. And so we've set up stations around this room, here in the front and in the back, where we would love to serve you communion. And it's sort of serve yourself kind of deal. You come up and we'll lead you through the elements. You take the bread and you dip it into the cup and you remember the body of Christ and the blood of Christ broken and poured out for you to buy your freedom so that you may have relationship with God. So for the next few moments, we encourage you to pray, to go to these spaces, to receive communion, and to celebrate this great redemptive act of love made fully available to you and to me.